Hello and welcome to episode 811 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hi. Yo, how are you? Okay, great. This morning, Craig Calcaterra, whose job is to write about baseball every day, wrote, it's a profoundly slow day in the world of baseball. But here we are, because we have to talk about baseball every day too. So a couple follow-ups from yesterday, the intentional walk that shocked and appalled us. Some additional evidence was uncovered by Twitter user named Jeff Good, and this was the 1989 intentional walk of Alvaro Espinosa by Roger Clemens to get to an excellent left-handed hitter, Ken Phelps, who pinch hit, and we couldn't understand why this happened. There were two outs at the time also. And Espinosa was not good, although he was a decent singles hitter. And Jeff Good pointed out that Espinosa was 0 for 9 against Clemens to that point. And all of those nine plate appearances had come in that season. So it wasn't even like the weird, like Enrique Wilson owns Pedro Martinez sort of thing that happens every now and then, where some scrub just happens to be really good against an all-time great. And people talk about how... He's, I don't know, uniquely suited to, to hit against them or something. So it wasn't even as if Espinosa was four for eight against Clemens or something. And the other Joe Morgan manager decided that he didn't want to face him anymore. Over for nine against Clemens in that season. So he had sat there and watched Clemens get Espinosa out nine times already and didn't think he could do it a tenth time. <laughs> so even more shocking. Yeah. And he was due. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. And since we were talking about sacrifice bunts, the sacrifice bunt is sort of an endangered tactic in the majors. I wrote about that earlier this winter, and we've talked about it before. Sacrifice bunts are at an all-time low. And so in the last three seasons, the most sacrifice bunts by anyone is 33. That's cumulative, all three seasons, by Elvis Andrus. So that's, you know, 11 a season or something. I mean, that's what it takes to to be a guy who bunts a lot in the major leagues. But in Japan, the sacrifice bunt is alive and well. And Kazudo Yamazaki, who is a listener and reader of ours and also now a writer for BP Wrigleyville, posted in the Facebook group about Kenta Imamiya, who is the sacrifice bunt king in Japan. And he plays for the SoftBank Hawks and... Over his last three seasons, his first full three seasons in Japan, he has sacrifice bunted 159 times. He led the league with 35 last year, and for him, that was nothing. He had back-to-back 62 sack bunt seasons in 2013 and 2014. And he is a type of player who doesn't really exist in the majors anymore, I don't think. He's 5'6", 148 pounds. He is a shortstop. I hope he's a good fielding shortstop because his career batting line is 240, 291, 319. So 
He is as old school as they come. He doesn't get on base. And he sack bunts in a about, uh, I don't know, a tenth of his plate appearances are sack bunts or something like that. So he is a creature that does not exist in the major leagues. All right. Anything you want to talk about? I I could talk about till versus until, but I think most people don't want to hear me talk about that. No, I don't have a problem with till. No, AP style doesn't either. So I take it back. Uh-huh. Someone also posted about that in the Facebook group, and evidently Till was the original yeah. form, and which, un- Until is is like a bastardization of Till. Which isn't necessarily relevant, but what is relevant <laughs> right. is that Till is still acceptable, and AP style allows either one. Okay. All right, so we're going to do something today that we've actually done twice before, and I guess we've just about done everything at this point after 800 10 episodes, but we are going to do a draft or a prediction of comeback players of the year for 2016. We've done this twice before. We did it in episode 286. We picked the comeback players for 2014 in episode 530. We picked the comeback players for 2015, so we we shamelessly repeat ourselves. This is the second draft this week that we've done twice already. The odd thing is that we've done it in September both times before. I don't know why we did it in September, but we are looking ahead to 2016 and we're talking about players who didn't do much last year, who we think will do something this year. And unlike the minor league free agent draftees, you will actually have heard of these players. And the weird thing about comeback player of the year is that there are still two awards given for comeback player of the year because there's the sporting news award which has been given out since 1965 and you can understand why the sporting news would want to continue that tradition but major league baseball started giving out its own comeback player of the year i guess the official comeback player of the year award in 2005 so now we have two identically named comeback player of the year awards which are given out at roughly the same time each year and are almost always awarded to the same players (laughs) so There's some redundancy in this award. I guess it's nice that there are two methods. I think the sporting news version of the award is voted on by a panel of players, like 200 players select. So it's a jury of your peers. And then the MLB award is voted on by MLB.com beat writers. I think there's one candidate from each team and they vote on who gets to be the top dog. So... I don't know which one we are drafting for. I guess we're drafting for the official one, although in practice, they're probably the same people. Over the last five years, they've picked nine of the same 10. Uh The the only difference was 2012 when Adam Dunn won in the sporting news vote and Fernando Rodney won in the (laughs) official. Well, all right. So we're, we're drafting official, I guess. And... Last year's comeback players of the year were very boring. I'm, I'm not sure I like the way that the comeback player of the year award is developing. It's yeah, just, it's kind of just becoming an automatic. You miss a season with an injury, and then you come back and are good again, which is a comeback, but it's not it's, very interesting. It, the 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 guy coming back from cancer is the ideal, right? Sure, it's or not, not ideal even, that. Not even that, but like, I mean, yes, a heartwarming story. Yeah, not, like, not just... I, yeah, any, any, like, for instance, uh, uh, if you got uh, hit by a line drive, 
Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, was like aghast and didn't know if it was going to ruin your career or end your career or, or be worse. Uh, and then you come back and we all like stand it. Like, like when Prince Fielder came back to the field, uh, I'm sure Rangers fans were happy to see him on opening day, but it's not like there wasn't a, like a three and a half minute standing ovation mm-hmm. because like the courage, you know, yeah, right. like I, you want some courage. Ideally there'd be some courage involved, yes. but yeah. Courage uh, or at least like a really long shot comeback because yeah. Prince well, Fielder but, and Matt Harvey won the award last year. And I mean, they, you know, it's, it's just at this point, a guy who has Tommy John and comes back. I mean, it's, it's great. It's nice that he comes back. Everyone's happy he's back, but it's almost routine at this point because well, there's but, so many Tommy John surgeries. Right. I, I mean, going away for Tommy John surgery is like, you know, taking a year off from grad school and then saying that you were unemployed. Like, uh-huh. you know, you went and you did a thing that everybody does. You know, you, you took your sabbatical. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel like uh, you're special. Um, yeah. Now, that said, I think you're overselling this. You're, that was one year. Last year's were boring. Uh-huh. I, I don't, are you sure that this is a clear trend? I mean, the year before was Chris Young and Casey McGee. Who, yeah, Casey McGee's a good one. Right. You, if you leave the country, it takes, you know, it takes courage yeah. to come back to the country that you fled. Like yeah. uh, like Roman Polanski coming back to get his Oscar <laughs> or something like that. Comeback director of the year. Uh, and so, yeah. So like Chris Young was, I didn't realize, like the equivalent to Chris Young would be like if Cody Ross won it next year. Uh-huh. Because you're like, you're shocked that he's still in the league and that he... Um, could have a, a contributing season is yeah. kind of inspiring and encouraging yeah. and a or reminder like, of days past. Aubrey Huff is making a comeback, I believe. Is that I true? Wow. Yeah. I don't I haven't heard anything about it lately, but at least it was news in November that he was trying to come back and he has obviously been out of the game for years and he had social anxiety and depression problems and that was you know, that contributed to the end of his career. So if he were to come back from that, I mean, he was a guy that was just retired for years and had a struggle and, you know, he's 40 and he's not going to come back and be an all-star and win this award. But if he did, that would be a great story. He doesn't. Yeah. Well, there, so there are three, there, there are basically three guys who win, maybe four, four, four profiles of guys who win. There's the uh, star who missed a year for an injury and then came back like you thought he would and played mm-hmm. like he used to be. I mean, Prince Fielder didn't even have to have his his best year. Prince Fielder didn't even have to have a great year. He just had to do 80% of what Prince Fielder used to do. And uh, Matt Harvey's like the most predictable thing ever, that Matt Harvey would come back from a surgery that has a very high success rate and pitch almost as well as he used to pitch. And so that's one guy. And then you have the, uh, the, the Huff, uh, you know, the Huff or the McGee, the guy who you know, basically you thought his career was done and then he either went away to another country or retired or just hung out barely playing or was in AAA or whatever, and then has a surprising career resurgence. And so those are good. And then you have the veteran who simply has a bad year and Uh then, and then comes back and plays at the level. And that is, I think probably what comeback player of the year was intended for originally. Mm -hmm. Like my guess is when this was invented, it was the guy who, had a horrible year, but refused to 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 die and and came back and had another good year. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are okay. I like those more than I like the Tommy John. Yeah, I feel like that's a legitimate vote. 
And uh, and then you have the uh, this is maybe not a full fourth category, but then you have the guys who have the inspirational thing for whatever reason. They some awful bit of bad luck happens in their life and they they fight back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are very rare. That would be like uh, the Andre Scalaraga is I think the uh, the classic of that. But those are very rare, and, and thank goodness they're very rare because it's better that people don't have tragedies in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so those are really the four categories you're choosing from, yeah, right? And, yeah, and I'm I'm trying to think of who would have been a better or more interesting choice last year. I mean, if you're if you're going to do the injury and comes back, someone like Ryan Madsen maybe. Just oh yeah, because he was so injured and so long gone. And then he came back, of course, you know, he came back as a, a good setup man, which is not as valuable as an ace of a World Series team, but still just the the improbable nature of his comeback was more impressive to me than Matt Harvey coming back. Or I Alex totally Rodriguez. Agree. Yeah, Alex Rodriguez, uh, I think, was a, a finalist maybe for the Sporting News version or something. And he was, I think, the most interesting comeback story of last year and if you you know don't want to vote for him because you just can't root for him anymore or you don't want to encourage his comeback because his his disappearance was largely self-inflicted and and cheating related that's fine I, I can completely understand if if you think comeback player of the year award should be sort of a inspirational or motivational award then Fine if you don't want to give it to Alex Rodriguez, but in terms of the, I don't know, improbable nature of the comeback and how captivating it was, I think that was clearly the best last year. So I think that I think, choices. yeah, I, I agree with those. Those are similar category. Well, like, uh, I think, yeah, A-Rod, I think probably is just excluded in a lot of people's minds because mm-hmm. There's a certain moral hazard to giving it to the guy who misses yes. a year <laughs> from yes. suspension. That's fair. Uh, the, of course, he also had major injuries too. But Madsen yes. would have been a, a much better version of Matt Harvey and yeah. Prince Fielder. That's a you're right. It's much more unlikely. The comeback. He didn't perform at as high a level, but he came back from a much darker level, and uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I would have probably voted for uh, Mark Teixeira over uh-huh. those guys. Yeah, that'd be a good. Uh, one. Because I do like the guy who just seems to be on a clear career decline, uh, and mm-hmm. then reverses it. And Teixeira had a great year. Yep. He also had. I mean, he was coming back from an injury too. But yeah, he he was also coming back from just not being very good anymore. Yeah. So all right. So we're just gonna pick some guys. I I guess we can do it as an actual draft. The problem is I don't think they really release the full results. So we don't get the vote totals for everyone. There were some vote totals for the Sporting News version, but I didn't see any other than just who the finalists were for the MLB.com version. Anyway, I got the first pick in the last draft, so <laughs> you can just take the first one in this one. All right. Well, I mean, will the the clear favorite by a mile is you, Darvish, right? Right. I yes. mean, by by forever. He is he is a he is a favorite like Clayton Kershaw would be the favorite for Cy Young or, you know, Mike Trout would be the favorite for MVP, only even more so because there's, his competition is like 20 other guys at most. So mm-hmm. uh, clearly you Darvish is the favorite. And, you know, again, that's kind of boring. Like nobody is like particularly anxiously wondering whether you Darvish will ever pitch again 
or whether he'll be good again. Uh, he might not be, but so might, I mean, you know, if you Darvish, uh, if any pitcher comes to camp in perfect health this spring, they, they're probably not much worse a bet than you Darvish to, you know, throw 200 innings. Uh, and Darvish is probably going to be a very good pitcher. And so he'll win it. Yeah. It'll be yeah. boring and he'll win it. <laughs> Yes, I think he is the clear number one pick, unfortunately. So. And he has, I mean, I don't know, if, if we're not drafting, the uh, the more fun, uh, if you want to stop me from taking another one, you can. But the more fun version of this, but the same genre, is Adam Wainwright in the NL, yeah, who right. is probably the clear favorite in the NL. Yes. And he has a better comeback. And I, something about just being old. Like, it's weird because if you have Tommy John at 26 and you come back, it's like, uh, okay. But if... You had Tommy John at 38 or 39 or something and came back, then I would be perfectly fine giving it to you. Because to me, coming back from Tommy John at 38 when it's, I mean, that's a really grueling recovery, a really grueling rehabilitation for mm-hmm. pitchers physically. Like it's not a, a particular long shot, but it's really a lot of work and a lot of annoyance. And you could see an older guy saying, well, you know, I've made my money. I, there's not that much upside left for me going through this. I'm going to go into the next phase of my life. And so, to, there, there is a certain amount of perseverance in that rehabilitation for an older player uh, mm-hmm. that I think you can appreciate. But I don't know that I put Adam Wainwright at that level of age, but it is still more. And also the fact that Adam Wainwright, it is not his first extended absence. You know, like he, mm-hmm. he has done this before with a different injury. And uh, there's something about, I don't know, I don't know why, but it seems more encouraging that Adam Wainwright might come back and be a great pitcher again. It's easier to give up on him. Like when Darvish went down, it was like, oh, how annoying. We have a year without you, Darvish. With Adam Wainwright, when he went down, you sort of wonder, okay, well, is, wait, is he ever going to be Stargan? So he's a little more fun, but I still think falls into the somewhat unsatisfying. Yeah, I mean, he was going to be my pick, so so he can just be my pick. But I don't know. I haven't done extensive research on what it takes to win this award. I don't know whether you hurt your chances when you do come back before the actual year. Yeah. I mean, he came back in somewhat diminished form. I mean, he was pitching mostly out of the bullpen, but he did pitch in seven games and he pitched well. And then he also pitched in a few postseason games and pitched well. And he clearly wasn't, you know, ace complete game throwing Adam Wainwright. So maybe he still has a good shot at this if he comes back to his previous level. Just not sure whether working your way back in any in any capacity, especially since he wasn't expected to come back last season. Right. And everyone like, said he, he was done. Votes. He could have gotten votes last year. Yeah. For coming so, back. Right. So maybe that saps his case. I'm not. I'm not sure whether he's still a strong candidate, but well, and I think s- similarly. I think, like, I think clearly Jose Fernandez came back too much. Yes. Right. So I don't consider him a candidate. Mm-hmm. And yet, strangely, Marcus Stroman pitched. I was wondering about him. He pitched. Yeah. What did he pitch? A third of an inning less than. Oh no, he pitched one inning less than Wainwright did. And yet, I consider his comeback. Uh, arrow fired like I don't I don't think that Stroman is a legitimate candidate and maybe that's because he was pitching in the postseason at uh, as a starter and at a high level and so it doesn't like it sort of feels like he already peaked yeah Uh, I mean he was being treated basically as the ace of exactly the best team in baseball (laughs) so so yeah 
Um, he also he also isn't coming back from as high of a peak. That yes, what, an important an important factor in all of this voting is uh, how famous you are and how good you already were. Mm-hmm. None of these votes, I think, are necessarily done. They're not fair votes necessarily. They reward a certain level of fame and previous accomplishment more than the absolute value of your comeback. Yeah. Uh huh. Chris Young and Casey McGee aside, those two are both outliers. If you look at the last 15 years of these, those it's weird that they came in the same year because those two really stand out. I'm not sure that there's a, another example of a player uh, of that kind of lack of star power and really lack of like all-star level performance coming in. Neither one of those guys was particularly great uh, in their years. Maybe it was a weak year. I guess maybe Fernando Tatis in 2008 might be the only thing close to that. Uh-huh. Or Fernando Rodney, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Who's talking now? You are. All right. I will um, I will say that it is not a prediction, but it is who I am maybe most voting for because it is the vision of the award that I like the most, that uh, Carlos Quentin. Mm, yeah. Uh, as a, as a, I mean, obviously, as a long shot, Carlos Quentin probably won't be good. He might not make it uh, out of spring training. But I like the guy who retires and then comes out of retirement. Mm-hmm. Casey Kochman. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Carlos Quentin uh, is, you know, he, well, it felt weird that he was retired last year because it, it yeah. did still seem like he had value to an American League team. And it was kind of by bad luck that, well, not necessarily, but it was kind of by bad luck that he just kept on being on NL teams where his value is so uh, so much less because he just absolutely cannot field or stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, and you, it seemed like he still hit at a level that would justify a uh, spot as some teams DH or at least a shot as some teams DH. And now he'll he'll get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would I really like Carlos Quentin, even though there are when you watch him, you hate him. It's hard to, you know, there are times where it's hard to like him. He seems both to uh, be uh, annoying and his teammates, uh, his opponents all hate him. And uh, I'm not sure how I feel about his hit-by-pitch game. Yeah. Uh, but I generally like him. He seems smart and he seems, uh, if if sometimes uh, misled, thoughtful. Like he's got a he's got an interior life. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, I value that. And uh, he's he's a really good hitter. He's yeah. a really good hitter. Carlos Quentin is. is definitely a really good hitter who probably didn't get enough credit for being a really good hitter uh, because he wasn't ever healthy, because he was so bad defensively, and uh, perhaps because his later years were in San Diego where his really good hitting was camouflaged. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go with Hanley Ramirez, I think. and. I, I don't know. I mean, there are, I can see a case against picking Hanley Ramirez, but I think his left field defense was such a spectacle and such a public embarrassment. Um, and there was so much attention paid to it that the combination of moving to first base and, you know, presumably he'll be able to handle that. I mean, he, he kind of had everything and he had a little bit of everything that, contributes to a player winning this award and i'm not sure whether that's a good thing it might he might be a better candidate if he had just missed the whole season or something but he had very public defensive struggles he had his worst hitting season 
ever. And he also had an injury. He had a shoulder problem and, and that probably contributed to the poor hitting. So he kind of had everything that could result in this award. And it was just a, a nexus of awful play and performance and embarrassment. And if he comes back this year and it's like the old Hanley Ramirez and is a decent first baseman and the Red Sox are good again, maybe he wins this award. I would, uh, of, of in that, that category of disappointing Red Sox free agents, I would pick <laughs> Pablo Sandoval over him. You would, okay. Uh, partly because he's younger, partly because there's a, a pretty good BABIP argument made uh, uh-huh. to be made. I mean, basically, if you just give him his career BABIP, or like his BABIP in the three years before he left were 301, 301, 300, which is pretty consistent. Yeah. Uh, and so if you just bump him 30 points of batting average, he has almost the exact line that he had in his last two years with the Giants. Uh, and uh, so I, that's still a, a drop because he's changing ballparks. But uh, give him his BABIP, give him a little bit of a, of a bounce back, give him maybe even a better than average year, and he could very easily be a, you know, a three or four win player. Uh, and I think he's more popular. Okay, yeah. And I mean, he was even worse. He was, by some measures, literally the worst player in baseball last year. And so that is a point in his favor here. Are you so? Are you just taking him then? Uh, yeah, if we're taking, are we really taking? Sure. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm gonna take CC Sabathia. I don't feel great about it just because I don't think CC Sabathia is likely to come back and play at the level that you kind of need to play at to win this award. And who's the worst recent winner of this award? The, well, how how bad can you be and still win this award? Well, like, I mean, what did Chris Young do in two thousand four, uh, two thousand fourteen? Chris Young, oh god, I hate googling Chris Young. <laughs> All right, yeah. Chris Young in two thousand fourteen uh, threw one hundred and sixty five innings with an exactly league ERA, a league okay. average ERA. All right, so he was a two win player exactly on Baseball Reference. Okay. Uh, Casey McGee was probably worse than that, but in, in the uh, in the RBIs, he was mm-hmm. better. Yeah. All right. Uh, so so that makes me feel better about the Sabathia. Yeah, pick. but the thing is that Young didn't have to like Sabathia to come back would have to get closer to what Sabathia does, right? Like I don't probably. think I don't think CC Sabathia league league average ERA would get much notice. So I, I don't know. I think I mean. Given what he's coming back from, which is, it is a, multiple yeah. years of declining performance, serious injuries, you know, knee problems for a, a giant pitcher, mm-hmm. and of course, rehab for, for alcoholism. I mean, coming back from all of those things, I think I think if he came back and had a Chris Young season, I mean, it depends on the field, depends if there are other really strong candidates. I don't know if... CC Sabathia came back as an average major league starter, and Yu Darvish came back as Yu Darvish. Who wins? Yu Darvish wins. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, the thing, the one thing about Sabathia. Hang on a second. I'm going to try to give you a quick fun fact. So uh, Sabathia last year actually he pitched more innings than Chris Young did uh-huh. in in his comeback year, and if he had, he actually only allowed. 
basically, if he allowed 11 fewer runs, he would have had the same ERA as 10, maybe 10 fewer runs, uh-huh. same ERA as Chris Young in his comeback season. Uh-huh. So basically, the difference between CC Sabathia and an average pitcher, if Chris Young's season was defined as average, was pitching the same number of innings, but allowing 10 fewer runs. And I don't know that that's going to show up. Now, that said, what helps Sabathia is that he has been, I think, fairly open about how difficult it has been for him to go through this decline, for him to lose the velocity on his fastball, for him to get hit. And he's been uh, unusually open about discussing those challenges. And so to see CC Sabathia go through three years of struggles, I think, uh, in the way he has, has made him very sympathetic, mm-hmm. uh, made him a sympathetic uh, character. And a comeback, I think, would be somewhat of a, an emotional high for, for a lot of people. And yeah. so he, I, don't, I don't think he has to win a Cy Young or anything like that. But he probably needs to be uh, a good pitcher who uh, has a very good winning percentage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. uh, I would say, you know, if he, if he throws 185 innings and has an ERA below three, say three, seven, and also has a winning, a good winning percentage and wins say 14 or more, then he probably beats a regular Darvish. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, all right. I, I really want to choose Ichiro just <laughs> because I want to like, how Ichiro always said he could hit home runs if he wanted, and he could always be a pitcher if he wanted. I want him to uh, be able to win the comeback player of the year at age 41 if he wanted. Like uh-huh. that would be an awesome thing to be able to do. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's it's probably too unrealistic uh, to pick him. So I will. Um, I'll go with Puig. Ah, uh, my next pick. And Puig is neither uh, was neither injured nor disappearing, nor in any particular way a good story. And he didn't necessarily perform bad enough that you'd call it a total bottoming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a combination of all that stuff if, as part of his good year, uh, he... And I think I think if he plays well, this will happen regardless. But uh, I think that uh, if, if, as part of his good year, he... Uh, there are articles written about his maturity and how the Dodgers clubhouse has rallied around him and how he's yeah. a leader now and he has learned yeah. to become a leader and all that. There sort of are stuff. already people saying it's a fresh start. They're giving him a fresh start. And yeah, so if he comes back and, you know, isn't late to batting practice or whatever. Then- and yeah, and this is a guy, his wars in three years, 4.9, 5.3, 1. 1.1. So if he just bounces back to his, you know, five win talent which is i don't think at all unlikely mm-hmm. uh if not inevitable uh that would be a a huge upgrade um i mean a huge improvement uh and uh, uh it, he's of the people on here he's probably the most likely other than darvish to win a non-comeback player of the year award as well like he's an mvp candidate right yeah and uh so he's he seems like probably the best bet on here of the guys who had bad years, just bad years, he's probably the best bet to have a great year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, people, uh, it, it helps to start from a position of people hating you. I agree. It also helps to start from a position of people loving you. If, <laughs> if, if either one, either extreme gives you narrative potential. Yes. Uh, okay, I'm going to go with, I think I'll take Anthony Rendon. Yeah. Just because I don't know if, any player i don't i don't know i don't know if any player declined 
by as much in value uh, last year. I mean, he was coming off a six or seven win season and was basically replacement level. Missed a ton of time with injuries. And when he played, he was a below league average player and just really didn't contribute anything and was kind of part of the whole Nationals collapse. And so the problem with him is that maybe he's not old. I mean, he's going into his age 26 season, so it's not like people have written him off or something, and he only had one year as a star-level player. And, of course, injuries have been a problem for him in the past, and maybe they'll continue to be a problem for him, so maybe he's not a great pick for those reasons. But he you know, just had such a a steep drop-off that he could have an equally steep recovery. Mm -hmm. I'll take Ian Desmond. Uh Uh-huh, okay. And... Uh, I think that this works either way. If he signs a, a short deal and is playing for his next free agency, then that's a big storyline. If he manages to get a long deal and does great in the first year, then that helps. Either way, it helps. Like His free agency, I think, really helps him because if Ian Desmond just had this year in the middle of, you know, if he was already in the middle of a five-year contract, uh, then it'd be notable, but it's just a you know, guy having a, a bad year, a down year, uh, but this the amount of money that he potentially cost himself with it uh, has you know brought it to everyone's attention. The only issue with Ian Desmond is that you know he he did hit 19 home runs. He did have a pretty good second half. He was a useful player, some you know arguably a valuable player, um, and so he wasn't necessarily as bad as probably the story goes and also when you look at the whatever he does next year compared to whatever he did last year there are going to be areas like home runs and maybe rbis where you don't see a big difference anyway but uh i think everybody knows that ian desmond had a horrible year uh-huh. uh and probably cost himself quite a lot of money uh, because of it and this will be the year that he gets to come back and get that money yeah all right this might be uh, out of the box pick i'm not sure this even fits the definition of the award but gonna take jerickson profar and uh-huh. taking him the problem with taking jerickson profar is that he can't really come back from being a productive major league player because he never was one he only got into you know 94 total games in 2012 and 2013 and wasn't particularly good in them so if you have to be returning to a level of previously demonstrated major league performance, then that could be a problem for him. But he was the number one prospect in baseball heading into 2013. Consensus everywhere, Baseball America, MLB.com, Baseball Prospectus, all had him as the number one prospect in baseball. And we've reached a point where a top prospect in baseball almost feels like a star in major league baseball because there's just so much attention paid to prospects these days. And we've seen so many top prospects go on to be stars very quickly. And so it felt like Profar was almost inevitable at that point. And he has fallen so far off the radar, missing two complete seasons with serious injuries. And as you know, I don't even know, I guess he would people still call him a prospect now? I don't know. Or is he completely written off? So if he were to come back and, Obviously, it's very unlikely that he will be a star all of a sudden. But if he were to come back and play a full season and be playable, 
maybe that gets him into the into the ring. I'm not sure, but just to have been so promising and then to have fulfilled none of that promise in a way that threatens his future to come back after that might might just do it. Yeah, there's uh there's uh, right. There's no precedent for a player like that winning it. Yeah. But you're right that there's also that the awareness of the top prospect, like especially the top prospect, is so much higher now that it is yeah. as though he had a full career before yeah. this happened. It's not like he came up and we all learned who he was. He had a full career before these injuries happened. In a sense, mm-hmm. he was he was more famous. Probably I don't know. Was he more famous? Do you think Jerks and Profar was more famous in 2013? than Casey McGee was and Chris Young was. Yes. Yeah, so so he, that can come back. Mm-hmm. All right, there's two guys who fit the same profile that you could choose from. Uh, the star corner outfielder in his mid-30s who played okay, played pretty well, but was injured on a competitive team and now will be back, hopefully help, healthy and back to leading a competitive team. So those would be Hunter Pence and Matt Holliday who both had kind of the same year. Holiday's a little older. Holiday's also been a little bit better uh, in his life. Uh, and either one of them could very easily uh, not only lead their, you know, bat in the middle of the order of a division-winning team, uh, both of these guys could be the sort of guys who uh, get into the MVP conversation uh, if everything goes right. Um, and so I guess of those two, I think that probably Pence is a better bet because of his age as well as probably Pence's I think maybe maybe it's West Coast thing just where I am but I kind of think that Pence's uh, injury last year got more attention and was more noticed and so will seem as though he is coming back for more so I will go with Hunter Pence okay I guess the problem with those guys is that when they did play they were pretty good maybe not quite what they usually were, but Hunter Pence, when he was not hurt, hit like Hunter Pence, basically. So I don't know whether there's precedent for, I don't know whether you have to have missed a ton of time and been bad, or whether you can just miss a lot of time and be good when you were playing and still win the award. They were on my list, but I was was steering away for that reason. All right, I'm going to take Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton is... Never won this award. <laughs> he seems like like wow. this award was created for Josh Hamilton. I, I don't know how he didn't win this award. Who who won this award in 2007 and 2008 when he was... 2007 was Carlos Pena. 2008 was Cliff Lee. Carlos Pena. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I... Yeah, Carlos Pena was coming back from... N- really nothing. <laughs> right? he win this Carlos Pena is the closest thing to a Jerickson Profar comp. Yeah, I guess that's true, right? Because was that his first big year? 2007? Well, it was the year he hit 41 home runs. That was his first, you know, his 46. first. Yeah. Yeah, 46 home runs. He He's not Profar because he was an established major leaguer who, yeah. you know, been playing regularly for a number of teams but had never been that great. But, you know, never made an all-star team, never got an MVP vote. But more than anything, I mean, in my mind at that point, Carlos Qu- uh, Carlos Pena was a little bit of, I don't know, I'm probably remembering this wrong, but a little bit of a post-type guy who was such an elite prospect yeah. uh, and uh, had never put it together and then finally put it together. I mean, it felt more like a breakout than like a comeback. Yeah, right. 
So I guess Hamilton didn't win because he only played 90 games that year. Maybe, maybe it wasn't seen as enough. I mean, given what he was coming back from and just being there seems like enough to win. And he was really good when he played, but maybe he didn't play enough to win that year. And then the next year he was great, but it was just more greatness because he had already been great the year before. So I don't know, maybe he just slipped through the cracks somehow and this would be like this. So this would be like Scorsese winning, finally winning the Best Picture for The Departed. Like, yeah, right. Everybody recognizes the greatness of his early career comebacks more, but those were overlooked, and now they have to find a way to recognize him before he retires. Exactly. And if he were to come back, I mean, this would be a, a, maybe not quite as big as the initial comeback, but in a way, it, I mean, he's he would be coming back from a relapse, so same problem that he was coming back from the first time oh, yeah. yeah. in addition to injuries and decline which you know obviously makes it unlikely that he will come back to be good enough to win this award but if he did then I think the sentiment the popular support would be there I think if he had had his fifth best season last year then uh-huh. he would have won it in a walk Yeah. as is now I think he needs to have a bit of a it's strangely the fact that he was so bad last year but played maybe makes it that he needs to even be better i don't yeah, know maybe maybe, maybe not mm-hmm. depends how much people remember how bad he was last year yeah he needs to be good uh-huh mm-hmm. uh how long are we going by the way <laughs> what have we have we done six i don't know i think it feels like we've done a lot <laughs> i think we should keep going <laughs> really okay <laughs> At some point, I'm going to be taking, like, Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll go with Victor Martinez. All right. Has he never won it either? How has he never won it? Yeah, he seems like he should have won it. And, you know, if he hits really well after not hitting really well, that would mm-hmm. be a comeback. Okay. That's my... <laughs> yeah, right. I'm surprised. I bet he finished high in 2013 the problem was that he was too good in 2013 for his mvp runner-up year in 2014 to have looked like a big comeback and he was not good enough in 2013 necessarily to get credit after missing all of 2012 mm-hmm. just didn't quite work out for him yeah. although he, you also could have made a case for him in 2009 when after missing half a season and having by far his worst year to date he bounced back was an all-star got mvp votes and, um, you know, hit 300 and all that. Uh, so three years he had a plausible case. Yeah. That was, I believe, your seventh pick. Wow. With my seventh pick, I'm going to take Homer Bailey. I was going to pick him. Too yeah. Before. Just, I don't know. He's the, I guess, the closest National League equivalent to Darvish, although obviously he wasn't nearly as good as Darvish I don't before think his he injury. Is. I don't think he's that. I think he's the closest equivalent to the guy I'll pick next Matt Kane mm, as yeah. guys who were you know top of the rotation guys a couple years ago and I, I think with both of them you can see a, a loss of performance and then injuries in whatever order uh, and neither of them seems like in any way a very good bet to come back which I think will make their comebacks more notable than Darvish's comeback or you know Alex Cobbs if Alex Cobb comes back or even Wainwrights, they both seem like extreme long shots, right? Like right now, if Homer Bailey was a free agent right now, he would get like, what, one year and 10 million with some incentives? 
Yeah, I think he might might have kept more. Yeah. And you think so? I think maybe he could. Huh. What about Kane? What would Kane get? Mm. I would think like one in seven. Yeah, I think Kane would get less. Uh-huh. So uh, both of them, though, are, you know, they're not just coming back from absence, from injuries. They have to prove they're healthy. They also have to prove they're still good. Mm-hmm. Bailey less than Kane. All right. So I guess we can cut it off at eight. So this will be my eighth pick. And I think I'll take Matt Wieters. Uh-huh. Matt Wieters obviously kind of had the initial uh, prospect pedigree he was expected to be the best and then he wasn't and then he's coming back from an injury and he hasn't played a full season since 2013 although he was good when he did play in 2014 Matt Wieters was an all-star in 2014 and he played 26 games that's impressive so (laughs) is it (laughs) well I don't know what it is but it's it's surprising (laughs) so um so yeah, I mean he uh, he missed most of last season. He wasn't great when he played. So if he comes back and he's one of the best catchers in baseball or something, maybe that would do it. Other guys that I bothered to write down: uh-huh. uh, Jason Worth, yeah, who went from MVP candidate to one of the worst players in baseball. Yep, just one year ago. Zach Wheeler, who yeah, I think gets extra credit for being absent from this great Mets run. Yeah. Uh, if he, if Zach Wheeler were, uh, were on the um, Diamondbacks, I'm not sure I would consider him a candidate, but mm-hmm. because he's on the Mets, I think he is. Joe Nathan as a old mm. guy, long shot. Yeah. Uh, especially because relievers can do anything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be that good to get 46 saves. Yeah. Robinson Cano seems like a stretch if yeah. you look at his numbers, but not if you take the, uh, Take the, not if you the measure of public numbers. perception of him, not if you're talking to Andy Van Slyke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. And Kobe Ellsbury. Yeah, I had him on there. He's a he's a former winner, and I think probably his winning comeback would be more impressive than if he were to come back again. And very long shot, but Jonathan Lucroy. Yeah, I had him on there too. And I had, uh, I had Alex Cobb. Uh-huh. I had... Marcelo Zuna. I had Devin Messeraco. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Probably should have just taken Devin Messeraco. Jay Bruce. And uh-huh. I had Joe Maurer, who I'd, oh, yeah. love, I'd love to win this award. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Maurer, I mean, Maurer could easily hit an empty batting title and win yeah, it. Yeah, well, not easily. I would be very surprised if he did. But, but yes, I mean, I don't know that first baseman Joe Maurer could possibly be good enough to win this unless. Oh, I definitely do. If he, Unless he if really he, has been dealing with concussion after effects or something and, and they go away, then maybe. But eh, I don't know that he has it in him. But I, I think if he hits 314, he wins it. Yeah, 314 with no power as a first baseman. I think he wins it, yeah. Look, this is not – This is if you look at the comeback player of the year winners, it is not a war leaderboard sort. Yeah, right. That's true. All right, well – I hope I hope he does. I hope neither of us wins this draft because Joe Maurer wins it. All right, that's it for today. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Support our sponsor, 
playindex at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP and get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will talk to you soon. Let's call this the comeback. Let's